Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Last words matter. And whether it's Dorothy in the end of The Wizard of Oz finally understanding that there's no place like home, whether it's the heart-wrenching goodbye of E.T. and his final words to Elliot, where he points to his forehead and says, I'll be right here, which I watched a clip and cried again this week when I saw that. Or whether it's the closing scene of one of my favorite movies of all time, Gladiator, where they say, now we are free and we'll see you again. But not yet. Not yet. Last words. They seal the point of the story. They offer hope and encouragement. And they empower us for the journey ahead. And so it was, as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, He came to the day where there's the last words He ever spoke in flesh and blood with His feet stepping down on dirt on our planets. And it framed the journey ahead for the disciples and for us. They were in the midst of facing uncertain days. And so they asked the question, they said, Jesus, you're risen. It's all paid. It's done. Is this the time that you're going to restore everything to yourself? And the the scene was set and Jesus spoke his last words. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus knows how to make an exit, doesn't he? He finishes his last word. He's like, see ya. And then boom, he just disappears into the clouds. And the disciples were standing there in the midst of uncertain days. Now, I don't know about you, but I would say when I woke up this morning, it feels a little bit like uncertain days in the times we're living in. Is anybody with me in that? So what does Jesus say to us in the midst of uncertain days? I want you to hear the first thing that he said here. He said in the midst of uncertain days, there is stuff that is not for you to know. There's some things that just aren't going to make sense in your days and so you can be free to stop obsessing or conspiracy chasing because it's a grand distraction. But Jesus went further and he said this word. He said, but. There's some things not for you to know, but when the Holy Spirit 
comes upon you. You receive power within you. Sure enough, not many days from then, the 12 disciples got together with another small group of people. 120 people were gathered in an upper room. And the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. They found themselves speaking in new tongues of languages they'd never learned before, proclaiming the works of God. They saw healing and they saw power. But I want you to understand this morning that the point of Pentecost wasn't Pentecost. The point of Pentecost wasn't signs and wonders and a grand worship experience and, oh, Jesus is alive and it feels so good and how great it is and butterflies in our stomach. No, the point of Pentecost was the end of the earth. The point of Pentecost is that Jesus came saying that he wanted to send us. Right now, there are people where we stand within a stone's throw of hearing my voice right now. People right in our city that are living right now without hope. They're broken and depressed and addicted and in chains and overwhelmed. And Jesus' strategy, Jesus' answer to the problem is us being sent to the ends of the earth. But notice what he says in Acts 1.8. He says that it starts in Jerusalem and then it goes to Judea and then Samaria and then the ends of the earth. Now, if the disciples could have pulled out their iPhones on that day when Jesus left and said it, and they would have checked their maps to see what Jesus was talking about, they would have seen when he said Jerusalem, there, there was a little pen right where they were standing because being sent starts from where you are. Before we could talk about being sent to the ends of the earth, we've got to be willing to be sent to the end of our street. Jesus' hope is that we'd start in a place that being sent, it starts in our neighborhood, it starts in our backyard, it starts with our coworkers, and then it moves its way to the world. We talk a lot at Overflow Church about our mission to love everyone everywhere, but I want to remind us that loving everyone everywhere requires that we first love someone somewhere. So in this series, in the weeks ahead, what I really want to talk about is what it would look like for us to be empowered, to be sent together, Overflow Church, to the people right here in our neighborhood, what it would look like for us to live as hometown missionaries. And so this morning... As, as a leading teacher in the body, what I believe my job is this morning is to help show us a blueprint that Jesus did not call us to the earth to get by and be citizens, but that he's called us out to be missionaries. And before we're done today, I'm going to reveal the obstacles that would stand in our way, the obstructions that are there, and together we're going to remove them so we're ready to be sent. And that's good, because next week our outreach pastor, Aaron Aruda, is coming up here, and Aaron Aruda walks as a five-fold evangelist. So while I'm going to point us at the target, and while I'm going to remove obstructions next week, Pastor Aaron is going to come up, and the Holy Spirit and Aaron is going to ignite your heart to put fresh evangelistic grace in your life, because if the Holy Spirit is in you, then Christ the evangelist is in you, and he wants to empower us at a deeper level. Does that sound good? So that's where we're going to be going. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to share this morning three ways that we can live and be empowered to be sent as hometown missionaries across the street. The first is this. If we want to be living sent as hometown missionaries, we've got to first live with intention. Missionaries see through a different lens. 
want you to think about the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 and hear what he's saying. He says, from now on, therefore, we, and he's talking to the sons and daughters of God. Any sons and daughters of God hearing my voice? He's talking to us. He says this, from now on, therefore, sons and daughters of God, we regard no one according to the flesh. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We've not been put here on the planet to spend our days as scavengers, but as servants. We're carrier pigeons, not vultures. And I want to tell you what I mean by that. So now if you've seen a vulture before, you've seen these, and every time you see a vulture, you just go ahead and say it. Ugh, uh, uh. Right? Nobody gets excited about a vulture. If you heard somebody come to you and say, I have a pet vulture, people would step back and get them professional counseling. Because vultures, by their very nature, are consumers. Vultures spend their entire existence self-consumed. Their entire existence, they don't care about community, they only care about self, and all of their energy is spent trying to secure their next meal. An interesting point is that vultures find themselves feeding on what's dead. The Bible says that the world and everything in it is passing away, that it's vanishing like a vapor, and we have not been put here to spend our days fighting over the next dead thing to satisfy our taste buds. We're not vultures. We've been called to be carrier pigeons. And I love the carrier pigeon because this is the earliest form of long-distance communication that we know on the planet. Long before the internet, long before the postal service, when a message needed to reliably get to a faraway land, what people chose was to send a carrier pigeon. Did you know that Julius Caesar sent carrier pigeons to deliver his news of conquest? In the early Olympic Games, it was the way the Greeks decided to announce the winner to the entire world. And carrier pigeons were chosen because they have a natural homing device. They know where they come from, so they don't lose their way on the journey. Carrier pigeons can be sent out, and they stay focused, and they go on an intentional mission to carry the message, and then to come right back home. And I want to tell you, in the kingdom of God, that's us, and Jesus is home. We've been called to go out as carrier pigeons, and Jesus is home, but unlike those pigeons... He never sends us away to leave us. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. No, home goes with us, and home pleads within us. And according to Paul, what's the message that we go with? It's this. We plead with humanity as the Father that all of humanity can walk in the righteousness of God. That phrase in Greek literally means that you can be who you were created to be. We go to the whole earth and say, listen, no matter what you've done, there's still time to come home. Isn't that good? That's what we get to, I'm sorry, church, isn't that good? That's the message that we get to carry. How? We have to choose to see ourselves differently. We have to choose to see them differently. We have to choose to see our days differently. We have to choose to live as missionaries. The Apostle Peter, writing to people just like us, said this. 
He said, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. In the Bible, there are these three titles that come up to define us and the way we should orient ourselves to our days on earth. Sojourners, foreigners, and exiles. This first one, the name sojourner, it shows up in the Old Testament. And it means someone who lodges somewhere temporarily that isn't their home. Someone that's only there as a guest. It would be the picture of a businessman who has work in town, and so he checks into a hotel to do his work. But how silly would it be if a businessman had work out of town and checked into a hotel, but instead of doing his job, he spent his days complaining about the pattern of the wallpaper or the thread count of the sheets because he didn't like his surroundings. See, any good businessman would say, no, I'm just here on mission. This is just the hotel, and I've got a job to do. We're sojourners. Second word in the Bible, it's the word foreigner. It means someone who travels to a strange culture and a land that's not their own. I remember being a youth pastor for a long time. One of the biggest complaints I hear from students is they say, listen, when I follow Jesus, people treat me like I'm weird. I say, good, you've been called to be a peculiar people. You've been called to be a city on a hill. You've been called to stand out. You've been called not to look like the rest of the world. You're a stranger here. Now, please don't just go be strange, right? Because a message, another message for another day for some Christians is, you're called to be a stranger, stop being strange. But we're strangers on earth. We're foreigners. That last word is the word exile. This is probably my favorite of the list, because the, the word exile, which Peter is using in this passage, it means one that doesn't live by the rights of the place they're in, because their land they're in, they're not accepted as a citizen. You think, man, that seems like a negative title. Well, this is what I would say. If you find yourself coming into a land that you desire to be a citizen and you're rejected, that's a great tragedy. But what happens if you find yourself in the midst of a government and a system and a land that is greatly fractured beyond hope? That it's cruel, that it enslaves its people, and all of a sudden one day you awake to see that you're in its walls not to fit in, but to lead people out because you actually belong to a law of a higher land. See, if you see that, then what you finally see is mission and glory. And according to the Bible, we are currently citizens of heaven, led by the higher law of love, and sent upon the earth to set captives free and to call them out. So because of this, Peter continues. He says, sojourners, foreigners, exiles, here's how you need to orient your, your life and your days. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming and live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. What's he saying? He's saying that our lives here on this earth are beautiful, but don't for a second dare set your hope here. It will fail you. Don't set your hope here. Why? Because this world is just your hotel, but Jesus is your home. According to the Bible, we're already seated with him in heavenly places. So what is Peter saying? He's saying, listen, love your life. Smile and laugh and play and build, but don't set your hope here. Somebody needs to hear me this morning. There are dreams in your heart that will never reach their fullest potential in this life because you were created for another one. Somebody needs to hear it this morning because you're disgruntled and you're mad. 
because you had a blueprint for your life, you put it in your journal, in your day planner, you, you mapped it out, and God is not going according to plan. And somebody needs to hear me this morning that there are dreams that are not going to be fulfilled in this life because you were made for another one. And what happens is we think about heaven, and we think about precious moments, babies floating around on clouds, but I'm telling you the day is coming where we're going to awake and see that this was the dream, and that's the reality. Somebody's got to get excited. I got somebody with me this morning. But I promise you the day is coming and we're going to find that all the time that we spent complaining about the pattern of the wallpaper and the thread count of the sheets was a waste of time. Because this earth is just our hotel. Jesus is our home. And he says, what I want you to do then is to set your hope on your home with him, which by the way, your forever life with Jesus has already begun, which means you don't need to delay your joy anymore. That's why people ask me, people have seen sometimes, they say, man, something happened in your life and you're just deliriously happy. Does life just go easy for you? No. I want to tell you, if you want an easy life, don't try to build a church. If you want an easy life, don't try to step out and sometimes tell people in culture, especially in a fence culture and a cancel culture all the time, that there's hope and that it's better. Don't go to people who want wrath and anger and tell them that they're required to forgive everybody. No, my life is not easy. No, everything is not sunshine and rainbows. So you say, well, how do you stay happy? How do you stay up? Because my hope isn't here. My hope's there. I'm already seated there. I'm called here. So as a homing pigeon, I'm living here to take people to go there. We live as missionaries by living with intention. Second is this. How do we live as hometown missionaries? How do we actually see this differently? We've got to love through incarnation. Missionaries live their entire lives among their people. There's this word in the Bible for when Jesus chose to leave heaven and for 33 years to live among us, to live with us. The word is incarnation. And so I want you to go on a thought experiment with me for a minute. I want you to think about a missionary. Get the picture in your mind of a missionary. Okay, maybe you grew up in a church when I, I grew up, sometimes go to my grandma's church where they'd have that person come with a four hour slideshow that they keep going about their missionary journey. And they'd be like, and this is the food we ate on Tuesday. And this is the food we ate on Wednesday. And you're like, oh, dear Lord, let the rapture come. Right. But I want you to get the picture in your mind of what you think of when you think of a missionary. What is true about their life? Any missionary, no matter what their background, listen, every decision they make is spent on how to be with the people God called them to. Every decision is about incarnation. My question is, is what would change in the pace and approach to our lives if we realize that's not just for them, it's not just for Karis going to Haiti, but that's for us in our hometown, that God hasn't called citizens, he's called ambassadors and missionaries. Because we're already citizens of another place. What could change if we'd see it? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. Because I have three things that I think would change we see that we're called to be missionaries. The first is that we would have to rethink our jobs. Citizens obsess over finding the perfect job. But missionaries realize their job is simply to get where the people are. So when a missionary goes into town, if they hear, hey, you speak English, so guess what? You're now an English teacher. They don't say, that's not my calling. It's not really what I wanted to do. Because they go and say, no, my job isn't my job. My job is the people. So wherever you will put me before people, I'm giddy and I'm excited. Citizens obsess over the perfect job, but missionaries realize their job is where the people are. So they go wherever they can help the land and connect with the people. And I feel somebody needs to hear me this morning. 
because you've been stressed out with God trying to get the right job. Maybe you don't have a job right now, or maybe right now you have a job, but you're miserable every day and you keep waiting for the perfect job. And I'm going to say this in love. You're thinking as a citizen, not as a missionary. You keep praying and wondering why God is not answering. So I want to say this in love. Go work where people will hire you. Go work where the people you're called to love are. Because the God I serve is big enough to move you where he wants you if you would bloom where you're planted. My Bible says a man shall not work, he shall not eat. And I'm not telling you if God's called you in a season to say, hey, I'm calling you away, I'm doing something that's radical and different. But listen, we got a whole thing that has happened since the pandemic. And <laughs> maybe I'm getting the thing right now that's not going to make my life easy, but I'm just going to say it. Okay, not my message, but we've had this thing going on since the pandemic that all of a sudden we've lost sight of vocation and people saying, well, I don't want to work because I can get a stimulus check and I'm just going to hang out at home. And we're getting more and more disgruntled. The more checks that come in, the more frustrated people are getting. Why? Because you've been called on mission and your mission isn't that thing to get your paycheck. It's the people. So go work while they'll hire you and do it with a smile. Why? Because you're a missionary and wherever people is, the mission of God can advance. All right. We can move on. A second, if we're going to think as missionaries, missionaries, we'd have to rethink the place that we live. Citizens make their homes their castles. Citizens choose their houses by the square feet, by the features, and by the privacy. If you're a citizen, your driveway is your moat, your garage door is your drawbridge, and your goal is to see no one. But if you're a missionary, you choose your neighborhood and your home and your floor plan by how you can foster intentional relationships. If you're a missionary, you know, not only know your neighbors, but you know the rhythms of your neighbor's life. Listen, a missionary will check the mail at the same time as their neighbor, not to preach with them, but simply to connect with them. They'll have their neighbors over for dinner. They'll find a shared interest. There's always time to talk in their driveway. Why? Because they're the priority. What would happen if we would think like missionaries? We'd have to rethink our errands. You know those things that we have to do or those hobbies that we want to do? Well, for a citizen, citizens are all about comfort and ease and speed. I want to get my chores done fast, and we love what's automated because it doesn't get slowed down by people. But for a missionary, a missionary will choose to go grocery shopping Tuesday at 4 because that's when Jessica works. And I've been called to build a relationship with Jessica to show her that Jesus really loves her. See, a missionary is intentional to live with incarnation. A missionary will schedule their time at the gym for the community of people they can be with, where they get their hair cut, creative ways to connect with their mailman or their pest control man, their lawn care. Why? Because God gave them these people to love. Now, are there any sports fans in the room? All right, we got the Super Bowl winning team in Tampa. I need to back this up in case anybody from the Bucks is going to be watching later. Ready? Well, let's do this again. Are there any sports fans in the room? Yeah. Woo! All right, that's good. That's good. Still the champions, y'all. Oh. A missionary who's a sports fan will find themselves inviting others to watch the game with them. And for the love of God, it's not so they can have a Bible study at halftime. A missionary understands that it's enough to just build relationship with someone God calls you to love while doing something you love, and that love can lead you from there. So what does a hometown missionary do? Listen, some of us, we, we binge watch our shows and we get in the wrong conversation of should you watch TV or should you not? And I always love when people tell me they don't watch TV. I just want to say this to you in love. 
There's some people who come up to me and they're like, I don't watch much TV. And then, first of all, they're like on their phone and you're like, you realize that's just a little TV. Anyway, because I just don't watch TV. And then they go on with what they've streamed on Netflix and I'm like, it's the same. This is a small TV is what this is. So I want to say this, though. Sometimes we come around and we go, well, if you're really sold out for Jesus, you wouldn't binge watch those shows. Listen, all those shows are art. They're either good art or bad art, but they're telling stories. And my Jesus loves stories. So let me ask this about intention. If you're a hometown missionary, maybe the question isn't, should I binge watch a show, but who can I invite to binge watch it with me? And how can we in some way start to see the truth of what's true about God or what's not true about God in this place? If I'm a hometown missionary, I'm going to invite my neighbor over for a breakfast book club or lose the books. I'm just going to invite my neighbor over for breakfast because people are the point. If you're a hometown missionary, your whole life becomes about being among the people. And listen, if you're among the people, it really doesn't matter what the job is. The people are the priority. Somebody needs to receive that today because you've been complaining about the job and the job ain't the job, it's the people. I pray for the grace that you see it in your life. The third one is this, and then I told you what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to define a target and then we're going to realign. So I didn't come this morning just for information. I've got one more point of information and then we're going to do some realignment. Does that sound good? All right, let's do that a little more convincing. Does that sound good? All right. Oh, thanks, guys. That's awesome. Third thing, if you're called as a hometown missionary, is that we are called to lead from inspiration. Missionaries see the gospel in everything, and they reflect it everywhere they go. When I think about that word inspiration, I think about Paul's words to Timothy where he says that all scripture is inspired by God. The hope that a missionary carries is not their opinion. It's their conviction of the gospel. Missionaries are confident in the message of the cross and how it intersects with everything. And at this point, I've got to get on just one more soapbox this morning. Because what we've done in the church for the last 20, 30, 40 years is we've given evangelism a very bad name. When we talk about carrying the gospel, I am not talking about memorizing presentations, what I call Christian drive-bys. Okay? You hear drive-by shootings? No, these are drive-by savings. Okay? It's where Christians want to fly in, and what we decide we're going to do is to memorize a salvation plan, strategize how to artificially force it into a conversation where it's not going, and lead someone to a prayer with Jesus. And I want to say this in love, it is unnatural, and it's obnoxious, and we need to stop it. I can remember encountering this when I became a Christian. I was in high school. I'd come out of math class, and we'd be in the commons areas. One of my friends was coming into math class, and I was coming out, and they'd walk up and say, you know, was the math test hard? And then before I could even answer, here comes drive-by saver. Drive-by saver, zealous Christian, going to come in and save the day of a conversation they weren't even invited into. And they hear, was the math test hard? And they say, you know, the real test you should be worried about is the test of life, if your name will be written in the great book. And so here's a math problem for you. One cross plus three nails equals four given. <laughs> and then they drop a gospel track and they're gone. <laughs> Drive-by saver, it happens at your job. When your coworker brings in donuts, and that one Christian is not being a stranger, they're just being strange, answers by saying, no thanks. I only eat the bread of life. It's the only thing that will ever satisfy. And they drop a gospel tract and run off to confuse the next soul. If you are afraid that being a carrier of the gospel means you must learn a canned sales pitch that don't sound like you to get someone on a Jesus hook, take heart, because good missionaries never do that. Why? Because good missionaries build long-term relationships of trust and depth over time because they actually see and want to know and love people. They don't treat people as projects. 
They treat them as beloved sons or daughters of God. And because they love them, they slow down enough to know them. And then they go where love leads them. Missionaries lead through care, not coercion. That said, the deepest need of every human heart, if you want to know what we're all longing for, no matter what the label is you put before you, somebody says, I'm Republican, I'm Democrat, I'm Buddhist, I'm Christian, I'm gay, I'm straight, I'm bi. We can throw all the labels and all the letters we want, but the need of every human heart, what we're really longing for, is him. We're longing for Jesus. And if we're going to love people deeply, it means that we need to be confident in the gospel of how to lead them to encounter him. How do we naturally and confidently share the hope we have. The best verse I've ever found in the New Testament that has helped me is in Colossians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul makes a three-point prayer. He says this to the people of Colossae. He says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. And pray that I may, may proclaim it clearly as I should. And as I saw this, I saw three prayers from the Apostle Paul. Prayer number one, pray that God would open doors for the gospel. I want to remind all of us this morning that God wants the heart of your friend much more than you do. What we need is not ourselves inserting ourselves into artificial conversations. We need to lean back and hear what God is actually saying because he wants them. We need God to open doors for the gospel. Second, Paul said, I pray that God would let me see him, that I would see what it is that I'm supposed to proclaim. That as God opens a door that I wouldn't be oblivious. And third, that I would have boldness to proclaim it clearly. The Bible says that the Father is always pursuing, that he's always speaking, that he's always drawing. And so what does it mean to actually live as a missionary? It means that we position ourselves for this person we love to lean back against Jesus and hear what he's saying and what door he's opening. And so I want to be practical. Because it's at this point, usually, that I've seen Christians that love Jesus and want to walk in power get frustrated or feel ill-equipped. One of the questions I've gotten asked a lot is, well, listen, I'm in a friendship right now with somebody who's far from God, but I feel like I'm not sharing the gospel enough. And if that's you, I want to remind you that the gospel is not a presentation. The gospel is a person, and his name is Jesus. And you carry him, which means when you'll slow down and love people like Jesus, you're presenting the gospel. If you'd slow down and forgive people like Jesus, you're presenting the gospel. And if you'd slow down and listen to what the Father is saying, He'll show you the doors that he's opening. You love, he opens doors, and then you just go as love leads. Now that leads to one second one, and this is the biggest one I've heard in over 20 years going with Christians. I hear, man, that's awesome, but here's the thing. Listen, I'm ready to be sent soon, but I just need more training. I don't want to misrepresent. I just need more training. I just don't have enough training. Have you ever heard that? Okay, might even be you saying it. You could put up your hand and condemn yourself. No, no there's not condemnation to Jesus. All right? I don't have enough training. I get what you're saying, but let me just remind you of this. The average churchgoer today has multitudes more training than the disciples who were sent out by Jesus ever had. In fact, I want to prove it to you. I want to give you the full account of the 12 disciples' training, okay? So it came to the point that they're at this. And I've already been talking a whole lot longer than I'm about to tell you what Jesus said, just in this one message. And you think of our years of training. Here's the full training of the disciples. Luke chapter 9. It says, when Jesus called the 12 together... He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He told them, you ready? Get out your notepad. Here's the training that's going to rock your world. This is what you've been looking for. You ready? Here's your training. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. 
If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And then he sent them. That was it. I don't know about you, but if there are only going to be three sentences to equip me to confidently share my faith, I want a little bit less of a packing list and a little bit more of, I don't know, what do I actually do? What's the point? It's that we make it harder than it is. See, all of us right now have things that we are confident and passionate about. Whether that's sports or photography or a hobby or a job. And you know what I found about things we're passionate about? We don't need conferences to tell us how to share something that we're passionate about passionately. I don't hear it anywhere else. I don't hear anybody else saying, you know, well, I'm a Bucks fan, but I'm going to have to talk to my friend at work and I just need a little more training to be able to talk about what happened in the game yesterday. I don't see any of those people paralyzed by fear that they're going to say the wrong thing. I see them just going. And so what I would say is maybe we don't need as much preparation as we just need to give ourselves permission. Because he gave them power and authority, and he gave it to you. So my best advice today is don't overthink it. Be fully you, fully in love with Jesus for the people that Jesus put you with, because that's why he sent you. Now that said, I want to make one second note. The disciples did have more training. They had a lot more training than this. But it didn't come from a class or a church service or a conference came from a choice to live in community. See, they had seen him do this hundreds of times before he ever sent them. They'd heard how he prayed. They prayed together. They ate together. They helped him with some of the miracles that they walked out together. They spent their lives together. And I would say humbly to us, maybe the reason the modern church is living in an age where we have more info and less in the field is because our solo culture has lost the art and the priority of being equipped in relationship. Maybe the reason we've got more info than we've ever gotten, and more Christians going, I just need another conference, another class, I'm just going to sign up for this $69 class online, this teacher's really good, and they're going to get me there. Maybe the reason we have more info and less in the field is because we've lost the art of what it means to slow down and live in a community, to live in relationship. So since the launch of Overflow Church, we've made some very bold decisions to drastically change some things and to realign them. Number one, we decided that we would not be a church that's just led by a person, but the church, the true church, is called to be led fivefold, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I'm going to talk about that in a few weeks and what it means, because those graces are in you, and according to Ephesians 4, they're supposed to be equipped, and that's how we bring hope to the earth. So we said, first of all, we're going to diversify, and if you're going to walk by the fivefold, it means, by the way, if you're wondering what's been happening in the last three years, if you're going to walk as a fivefold church, everybody's going to be a little uncomfortable all the time. Congratulations. Because we need to be iron sharpening iron. Not just a whole bunch of people who already see the same things, because then we're the blind leading the blind into a ditch. But the second decision we made was this. In a largely consumer church, we said, you know what? We have good worship services, good preaching, and we know how to do really great events. But we're not seeing people be intentionally discipled and equipped to be missionaries in their own hometown. So we're going to change everything. And I want to tell you, in almost three years, what we have chosen at this point is everything we do as a church is to put you in one of two environments. The first one is right here on Sunday mornings. As we call you on Sunday mornings, my prayer continually for our team here is that we would proclaim and that we would inspire you. 
that we would point to the target that God is speaking together for Overflow Church, that we'd come together, that we'd lean into Jesus, and that we'd get prophetic marching orders for how he's calling us in this region to be the church. And so I want to say this. If you're thinking I'm going to talk about missional communities, I'm going to say now Sunday is an option. I'm going to tell you Sunday mornings, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. But Sunday mornings matter more now than they've ever mattered before. Because it's the one place where we unify together and brothers and sisters come together in unity and agreement to say, this is who Jesus has called us to be in Valrico in 2021. Let's do it. But that said, guys, this is the pep rally. When we've left here, we can't say, I went to church. Uh, this was church. No, this is the pregame talk. Church is what we live 24-7 as we choose boldly and courageously to walk in community together that would equip one another, not to be lone rangers anymore, not just to be, you know, YouTube bandits that want to follow. Stephen Furtick said this, and Elevation Worship said this, and I'm going there, and I love all of that. We've got more than enough information. We don't have nearly enough incarnation of us living together. So we made a decision. We said as a church, we're going to get very bold to take a lot of things off our calendar. Places where you're going to see, you've already seen it. Say, why isn't the church doing this? And why don't we do this? And why don't we do that? My answer is going to be, listen, I'm very interested in us building all these other things we can do, but not until we first build intentional small community where we are equipping disciples to own their faith and walk as missionaries in their own hometown, in our own Jerusalem, so that then we can go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. What does that mean? If this is home, you're going to be equipped here. You're going to be sent here. But I also want you to know, so you don't get frustrated with me, you don't feel tricked. That everything I do when I come to preach is ultimately to move you to be in a missional community. That every decision that I have, because listen, at the end of the day, it's no good for me if you just come and go, man, you're such a great preacher, and that really lifted me up. Because, because it's one thing to be moved in the moment, it's an entirely different thing to move as a missionary. And I think what I've seen in the last 20 years in churches is we're really good at getting people to be moved, but we're not good at seeing people and that only happens in community that only happens as we make the decision to be there so i'm going to say boldly that the sent church our missional communities are not another program they're not another event and i'm going to tell you if what i'm saying this morning is firing you up then i'm going to tell you you need to be in one and i'm going to say further for some of you you need to lead one you're looking right now and god is saying you need to lead one if we are in christ we must see our days differently. We have to see people not like the rest of the world. We have to see ourselves as new with power and authority to go. But we have to see our days, according to 2 Corinthians 5, as the Father pleading within us. So I want to close with this last question. When the history books are going to be written to share about the followers of Jesus in 2021 in Valrico, Florida, What's the last word to say? Well, we see a pleading, beating heart of our Father. A community of people that would buck the status quo, choose to live in relationship, get equipped, and go. But when we read about a church that was mostly satisfied and maybe a little bored, that's the difference between living as citizens and crossing the line as 24-7 missionaries. I want to say, I know what God has called Overflow Church to be. I also know, as for me and my family, we have decided to follow the Lord and there's no turning back. So the only question I have is, who's going with me? Would you stand with me? Now typically at this point, this is where I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and receive. 
But this morning, I want to be very, very practical. As I told you, when I come on Sunday mornings, I hope you get inspired. I hope that the vision gets bigger. But listen, I haven't just come that we would feel moved. I've come that we would move. So I want to put a prompt on our screen right now. If you've heard this and you're wondering what's next for me, I have an activation of just three words for us this morning. Three words that I feel the Lord is speaking to us. Who, how, now. So this is the question I want to ask, and I've been asking the Holy Spirit in these moments. These are the moments that are going to matter the most to us today. This is the launch point. This is the point of decision. I've been asking the Lord to bring people to your mind. And so the first question I want to ask right now is who is it in your world that God is saying now is the time to meet them or you know them, but now is the time to pursue them? I'm asking the Lord right now to bring names to your mind. Maybe in your neighborhood you say, you know what, I know that neighbor, but I've never met these three. And right now the Lord's telling you, oh, I put you in that neighborhood for a reason. You've been doing that thing, and listen, I'm preaching to myself. I get the castle thing and the drawbridge thing because as I'm out in the community, I'm serving all the time. And so there are times where I just want to go home and have it be a safe haven. But when you're a missionary, you're a missionary 24-7. is the most glorious thing. We never put Jesus on leave or on break. And so I have a few neighbors right now that God is saying to me that I need to meet and not only meet, but really pursue and slow down. And when I see them out on their driveway or I see them checking their mail, not to get my Christian drive-by saver presentation ready, but to slow down and say, no, I believe I was called here to such a time as this, which means I'm supposed to know you. And I don't know what Jesus is going to do there, but I know that he adores you. So I'm going to build a relationship and see where he wants to lead. Who is God telling you right now? Would you let the Holy Spirit put a face or two on your mind? And as you look around the room, I want you to get this. In just this room, we had a first service, we've got it on Facebook Live, we've got it on a podcast, but just here in this room, If all of us had two people that God put on our heart and we decided to shift, not just to be moved, but to move and to pursue them, do you understand the tangible change that would come in our region just there? Do you understand the multitude of testimonies? And as Pastor Chris was saying earlier, the legacies. Because when you see somebody's life change for Jesus, it's not just their life that changes, it's their whole family life. What could happen? If we'd hear with new ears and allow the Lord to put one or two on our heart, who is he telling you it's time to pursue? Second question, how? How will you specifically move this next month to be with them? And this is the point where I want to encourage and challenge us. Because this is the point where we get to a point and say, church was good, and the message is great, and the message is fire, and we're going to share it, and we're going to like it, and how great it is. But listen, this is the point that I've seen, from my estimation, in my own heart when I'm sitting in the seat. This is the point I check out because this is the point that's hard. You can't just feel on an emotional high and hear everybody else applauding around you. This is the place where we have to make courageous decisions to realign our schedule. This is where we have to make decisions that those people that God put in our face are going to have priority in our lives. This is the place where we need to be creative. Where is he calling you to think differently about your errands and the things that you have to do? Because you know what? Here's a place where I'm calling you. The last question I want to ask is this. What community has God provided to encourage, equip, and disciple you now? What's your next step with the missional community? If you're already in a missional community, I just want to ask this question. 
Are you treating it as the priority that God wants it to be in your life? Are you really plugged in? Is he saying, no, we need to be there and we need to charge each other up that we're living this. In fact, I'm going to ask every missional community, if you can screenshot this, I'm going to ask every missional community in our church that you would talk about this this week together. How do we live this out? But as I said, for some, God's telling you this morning the next step is you need to be in one or that you need to lead one. I want to promise you, if you take this prompt before the Lord, the Holy Spirit will speak and he will tangibly change lives. I believe I've shown and I've shared this morning why none of us have been called to be citizens here because we're already citizens there. We've all been called to be missionaries. And if we've been called to be missionaries, there are faces in your world right now that matter, which means there's a strategy right now and there's a community right now. In just a minute, I'm going to pray, but this is the launch point. I'm going to ask right now where God is calling you to either join a missional community or to lead one. And I want to be honest because for some of you, you've been with our church a long time. You've been with us through through what we had at touch groups and family groups and small groups and purpose groups. And you've seen all of it. And you know what it is to be in community. Maybe you've gotten tired or you've gotten hurt or you've gotten jaded or you've come since we've been overflow church. Maybe you heard one of these charges and you came and talked to one of our pastors and you said, I want to join a missional community or even I want to lead a missional community. And somewhere it just didn't pan out. You tried one. It didn't work. Or maybe on our side, we dropped the ball. And I want to say to you, that's true. I'm so sorry. The move to become a fivefold church has been one of the hardest things we've ever attempted to do. It's been beautiful, but it's been tough. And the move to see small groups not as another program to add to our calendar, but the lifeblood of the church is a missional community. It's taken time, and it's been difficult, but I want to tell you boldly, we're there now. This is not something else we're trying. So if you've tried before, and you've been burned out, and you've missed it, I want to repent to you. But I'm asking you today to step out. I'm asking you today to believe again. If Overflow Church is your home, I want to say boldly, you need to be in a missional community or you need to lead one. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to ask Pastor Aaron, our outreach pastor, to just come right up here up front. And in just a minute, I'm going to pray and bless us. But Pastor Aaron is going to be down on this side that if the Lord has told you, yeah, that's it. I don't have any other answer, but I need to be in a missional community. Or maybe you're getting to the place that you're in a missional community and God says, hey, something needs to change within your missional community. I'm going to ask if God's giving you a next step that you would come and talk to Pastor Erin. She's going to be ready to greet you here. And she'll be here all the way to the end of the service. For some of you, God's saying it's time to lead. It's time to step up. I'm going to be standing right down here on the other side. And I'm going to ask you to come to me and say, God's telling me it's time to lead. I don't have any other answers. And you know what? We'll walk it through from there. And God is going to move. But the goal this morning for us is not that we'd simply be moved. But that we would choose to move together in community. It's hometown missionary. Let me pray for us. Father, I just ask right now for each of us that you would speak boldly. I believe that you have faces and people. You have a who. I believe that you have a how. I believe that you have a strategy of where you want us to walk. But I believe with all of my heart, Jesus, where we've missed it so many times is we hear these messages as Lone Ranger Christians. And we think, I'm going to be fired up enough. I'm going to prioritize it enough when you've called us to belong to a community that will equip, encourage, and deploy us together. So I'm asking right now, Father, for boldness. I'm asking that you would send us. If God is calling you to join a missional community or lead, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and step out from your seat and come either there to Pastor Aaron or to come to me.
Father, I'm asking this week, thanking you for the faithful feet of sons and daughters who bring good news. I pray that you would encourage. I thank you for my friends here and how they carry your tenderness and your love and your affection. I pray that you would give them confidence. I pray that you would connect them. Make us one together. Lord, we want to live as sent. In 